Hi, I'm Wendy Dickinson. I'm a mergers and acquisitions coach with Ascend to Sell. I specialize in coaching business owners who either want to sell the business they have spent years building or grow through an acquisition. I coach my clients to adopt mindset and awareness techniques in positive leadership, stress management, and maintaining their sense of purpose through transitions. Today, I'm here with Courtney McBean. Courtney and I met recently at a conference, and I was just fascinated to hear about her endeavors and, and her, her um, actions as far as the various businesses that she has had and navigating the mergers and acquisitions process. So Courtney, if you don't mind, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, and then I'd love to start off with hearing about um, you know the business that you started. Thanks for the introduction, Mary. Happy to be here. Uh, so as Mary said, my name is Courtney McBain. My background is in clinical research uh, with an education background in public health. And I spent about 20, a little over 20 years in clinical research working with uh, the NIH, National Institutes of Health, as well as uh, pharmaceutical and medical device companies. And up until about 2012, I always worked for a company, primarily medical device, uh, running teams uh, that, that design and execute clinical trials. And in 2012, um, I personally uh, made a big move across the country with my family, and that left me with some time to contemplate uh, new directions. And I love clinical research. Uh, one of the things that was a bit frustrating for me in my career was the absence of sort of innovative practices. And while I stayed with the company during my move, I also had a little bit of time and space to brainstorm on how I might resolve some of the challenges that I faced working in clinical trials and decided to take a huge leap and start a company called Blueprint Clinical which was a technology company that focused on creating data management and risk management uh, software for clinical trials to use. And so I started that company with a co-founder of mine in 2012, and then was extremely fortunate to be acquired by a larger technology company in the clinical trial space in 2014. So we had a very quick build, launch, and then were acquired. And um, so it's been a, that was a fantastic experience, a lot of learning. Um, and then since then, I've been consulting and am about to launch uh, a new endeavor in the same space um, with a different focus. So I'm, I'm currently in the process of launching a newer, newer adventure in that space. So I hope I could do a little bit of background. Yeah, Courtney, that is great. And and I just, I'm fascinated by the idea of the quick turnaround that you had with your original company. <laughs> how, how did you find your partner, your co-founder? So Trevor McCaw was the name of my co-founder. And this is a very funny sort of personal and sort of uh, serendipitous discovery. Trevor and I on a personal note, worked together uh, at one of my prior companies, Medtronic, which is a medical device company. And Trevor and I actually have children, two daughters that are exactly the same age, 
were born at the same hospital on the same day, 30 minutes apart. Oh, so my gosh. <laughs> twin daughters, if you will. And um, we got to know each other working together. And then as, you know, um, personal friends, we shared a nanny together with our two daughters, his mm-hmm. wife and my husband and I. And uh, we just had this really very unique personal experience. Uh, and then the two, two independently, two families moved to the West Coast. So he moved to Vancouver, British Columbia, and my husband, family, and I moved to Washington State. And Trevor uh, had a bit of entrepreneurial experience prior to starting this company with me, and I was ready to go and um, brought him on board, and we just took the risk and started it together. So it's a very funny kind of way to find a business partner. Yeah, but you know, on the other hand, it makes a lot of sense because you two had similar values and it sounded mm-hmm. like you had um, a working relationship and sharing the nanny and goodness knows. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that's a tricky thing. So you had already, yeah, yeah you'd navigated some some interesting uh, waters already. Right, right. And the, the value piece. I think you hit one of the key pieces for us along our journey. Uh, that that really stayed true and became very important as we made the decision to sell and, you know, how we formed the company and, you know, how we made those longer-term decisions. We both, both families very much value family first. And so ultimately, and I'm sure we'll get there in the discussion, that, that is the reason we, we sold the company. Well, and, and I'm curious, so at the beginning, as the two of you are launching Blueprint, oh, mm-hmm. is, is it Blueprint, right? Blueprint Clinical. Yeah, as you were launching Blueprint, you know, tell us, can you tell us a little bit about how the values did inform your decisions? Sure. Uh, so we did not set out to sell immediately. I was sure that we had a product and that there was a need. And given some of the regulatory requirements within clinical research at the time during 2000 and 2012, there was an opportunity there to create a technology that assisted companies in uh, adhering and following those regulations. So the, the timing was right. The need was clearly there. Both of us had spent a significant amount of our careers in these, this industry. So we knew the inside of it. Um, and I think both of us were burnt out of the corporate mm. lifestyle. I was traveling, um, had small, two small children, traveling constantly, you know, just working, working, working to build, you know, grow or move up that corporate ladder, so to speak. And it's mm-hmm. an extremely demanding industry. And from a personal values perspective, the impetus for either one of us individually and then together to launch into we can do this. We can do this on our own, and we can create the lifestyle that we're looking for, and it doesn't have to follow the mold that is corporate America. And so I think for both of us, the need to get out of corporate was so great from a values perspective and personal values that um, we were willing to take the risk of starting something new. Well, okay, so that's mindset, right? You, you guys yeah. recognize that you had a product, you recognize that you you had a a life balance challenge ahead of you, and and so you went into it, but not necessarily with the intention to sell. 
So, right. yeah. And, and so tell us a little bit about those, those early days once it's launched. I mean, wow, 24 months is not a very long time. So no. anything you can tell yeah. us about that experience would be great. Absolutely. And I, you know, it sounds, people say 24 months, that's fantastic. And, you know, it was hard work. There, there's yeah. no, you know, we might have gotten lucky earlier than we expected to, but we worked our tails off. Um, so it's interesting, and one, that is one of the reasons we decided to sell when we had an offer we were happy with, is it is extremely hard work. Um, the industry in general, just to, to speak to the industry specifically for a minute, the industry is not particularly welcoming welcoming to new companies. They're very hesitant. You know, typical purchase decisions require companies have had, you know, uh, have been in existence for five or more years. So for a new company coming in, finding those early adopting customers and those companies willing to take risks with new technology, that is definitely a challenging process. And uh, it is a very hard industry to break into and to get contracts and customers that are willing to pay you, you know, enough that would be sustaining for you is very challenging. So those early days of selling were, and that was primarily, I was sort of the front-facing um, person, uh, the CEO of the company, and so I did most of the customer um, conversations and, and conference presentations and things like that. It, it was uh, definitely a challenge. From the Washington State, where I was flying, you know, across the country mm-hmm. on a frequent basis internationally, you know, trying to visit customers and really have those those in person touch points. So that was exhausting just in itself, just logistically. Um, but what the, the key for us was is was really leveraging the networks that we had built over the years yeah. in our careers, and then really identifying who those early adopters would be and then really ushering them through to gain trust and to be willing to, you know, sign on and become customers. And so for us, you know, we did, I would say, spin our wheels and exhaust ourselves a bit doing massive RSP processes for big, big companies thinking we would get these big contracts, but that process takes you know, 18 to 24 months just to get your purchase, you know, approval. Mm-hmm. So we spun our wheels a bit on that and then, and then realized we're just exhausting ourselves for very little return. And what we need to be doing is really identifying those early adopters, building that relationship and really holding their hands along the way. And ultimately that, for us, when we made that sort of refocus, if you will, that's, that's what, ultimately enabled us to sell because we were able to get customers. They weren't huge customers, but they were customers. And so when a company came to look to purchase us, we had customers to show for it versus if we're just spinning our wheels looking at very large customers, we might have had, you know, a dozen or more contracts under review, but no actual customers. So I think selecting our customer base, we did a little trial and error. Um, but once we honed in on those early adopters and the small to mid-sized companies, we had far more success. And how did the two of you decide who was going to take what role? That is a great question. <laughs> and uh, I laugh because I think we sort of reevaluated it on a regular basis. 
And, and part of that was we both enjoyed doing a lot of the same things, and our experiences were different. So I think both of us really enjoyed the relationship aspect of it mm-hmm. um, and reaching out to customers um, and, and doing that sort of marketing strategy. However, my background was far heavier in clinical trials specifically. So I was really able to speak the language and relate to the customer um, whereas Trevor's was more in finance uh, and more on some of the design end. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately we decided, you know, it makes sense for me to be the voice uh, because I'm going to be the one relating with my clinical trial experience. And then he was more of the design and working with our software programmers and, and UI designers. So he took a little bit of the, the back of the house um control, and then I was more on the front end, if you will. At that point, once that decision had been made, how was the, the work-life balance going for the two of you? Well, that was rough. Yeah, it <laughs> I sounds... I will say, uh, with, and part of the constant little bit of rediscussion was because for me being on the front end, I was the one that needed to travel uh, to mm-hmm. customers, potential customers, and marketing events. So the travel load was was significant for me and um, so that was a challenge and you know I had said before the reason we started the whole company was to to get out of that corporate grind and we just we sort of put ourselves into a different level of grind which this was startup company which is a whole different whole different ball game uh, because your survival depends on you grinding away and really working at it and so People sometimes say, was it worth it? And I have no regrets. Um, the time was intensive, and, you know, it took me away from family for a period of time. But at the same time, I, it was my doing. It was I owned the company. I designed the company. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, we were successful. I had great family support, um, and my kids loved talking about the fact that this was this was mom's company, mm-hmm. which makes me cheery to talk about. Yeah, it, I mean, what a model. And the other thing that I, I have to tell you that I admire so much about you and others that I've interviewed where there is a partnership is the the willingness to revisit time and again as circumstances change, right. it, you know, to, to evaluate the values, to see how things are, are planning. And the other pivot point I'd like to ask you about, and, and you mentioned it, but yeah. I, I think it's pretty important, is that whole idea around initially zeroing in on a particular client base and then realizing that yeah. it's going to be more profitable to shift. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? Sure. Uh, so I think initially we thought if we could get two or three big companies, and we're talking big like Pfizer or Bristol mm-hmm. Myers Scribb or Johnson & Johnson, so very big companies, if we could just get one or two of those and have a close relationship with them, they have the funding and, you know, one, just one or two of those customers could sustain us as to, you know, with enough financial backing to be able to expand a bit more and, and, and add team members and whatnot. So that, you know, that we really had our eyes on the size of the contract that we could potentially get, which was a mistake. 
I think once we realize the level of time, the amount of time and the level of effort that goes into to securing one of those contracts, mm-hmm. um, we quickly realize, and then with for the help of our advisors, that that is not time well spent at this stage in the game. That you know, getting more and smaller clients is far more sustainable and achievable. Uh, and so we really did do that pivot. And it's not to say that we closed the door and said we won't even entertain it. We did have our, you know, a couple of toes, if you will, in the sand with other with some big companies and did ultimately spend a decent amount of time doing these big re- proposal requests. But the large amount of our energy and time went to reaching out to smaller and mid-sized um, companies that sort of connected with the networks that we already had. The one thing that I underestimated, and I still struggle with a bit, is is underestimating the strength of the network that you already have. And, you know, I tend to underestimate and think, oh, you know, it's been five years since I worked with that person. They won't even remember who I am, or they don't have enough time, they won't want to help. Or And and actually, we... we talked quite a bit about this at the conference you and I were at, I underestimated the strength and connection and and the help that a network provides. And that is one of the lessons I took out of it is those people that you've built relationships with over the years, 20 years, I'm still in contact with some of them. They are there. And, you know, it's asking for help or asking for connection and staying in touch with them is so important. And you'd be shocked, I think, the level of willingness people have to try something or refer you to someone or, you know, recommend you elsewhere. And so I, that really, once I got comfortable leveraging the network I already had, um, that was eye-opening for me. I think that's a great point. And, and I have to laugh because the conference that you and I went to, there were three Wendy's there. And, and, you know, which is hilarious. And so I would say, okay, hi, I'm Wendy. And the person would say, okay, now which one are you? So, (laughs) you know, even, even a thing, thing like that, I think that if I went back to any of those folks that I met and, and said, I'm Wendy, who does this works with, you know, has a son to sell works with business owners, they would remember. And, and so I have found in my own journey that you're so right. My, my contacts from years ago are as willing to help now as they were then. Right, right. You know, I also have to say that, or my question is, if it had turned out that, that you and Trevor were correct in in your assumption or, or ability to get these larger companies, would you have been traveling as much as you ended up traveling with, with the smaller customers? I'm not sure is the answer. The, oh. This industry, and this was part of the decision ultimately to sell, um, the, this industry is a very high touch point industry. The technology companies that are in the industry really operate very much on in-person, um, in-person connections and relationships and fostering and sustaining those relationships. And so that was very interesting to me. I'm very efficient with my time, and so for me, I struggle just with the with the, that practice of, of feeling like you always need to be physically there um, for fear of losing that relationship and then, therefore, the customer. Um, this industry is a very high touch point, so even if we had gotten 
a large customer, we may have had enough cash flow to hire a local person in the area, which probably would have been exactly what we would have done. But it still really would, for quite some time, I think, require a significant amount of travel. And that was one of the components. We had a few advisors, and one of them went through a very similar process with a technology startup that they grew for 15-plus years and then ultimately sold for it was an amazing story. But, you know, their experience was similar, and, and their advice was, in this industry, it is not typical. This A two-year turnaround and exit is very atypical. Um, a 7- to 10-year or even 15-year exit is what is typical in this industry. Mm-hmm. And for those first seven years, it's, you know, fighting, with, you know, hanging on by your fingernails for, you know, the, for enough revenue to sustain you. And that was a bit of the theme that we got from a lot of our advisors. So we did time things right, and we were able to get early adopters and, and some early customers, but we knew just from watching what was happening in, in other companies, we were in for a very long road and a very hard fight to, to get ourselves um, to a sustainable business for a long period of time. And... That ultimately, if I can jump to the purchase decision, sure. we had we had two companies um, offer to purchase us because they were looking to expand their portfolio to address the need that we addressed. So we had hit the timing right with the regulatory requirements because a lot of technology companies were now trying to offer services that addressed exactly what we just built. So companies did not have time to build their own technology solution, and so we're, we're acquiring them. And we were one of the very few that actually addressed these regulatory requirements. So we timed it right, and we actually had two offers in that same period of time. And when we looked at the offers, you know, one stayed on the table um, that we were happy with, and we just made a decision. We said we could either hang on and and get some additional funding and and keep this travel schedule going for what looks like maybe seven plus years or we have an offer that we're really happy with and would we be happy to sell it um and so for us both trevor and i are creators we love brainstorming and coming up with solutions and designing those and envisioning that Neither one of us loves the long-term, sustained sort of, let's make sure all the T's are crossed. And, and so when we looked at what we really enjoy doing and the work that we enjoy doing and the lifestyle that we want, this was sort of a no-brainer for us that this is the right decision. Um, and so, so that's ultimately how we made the decision. It was we would still be traveling. Um, it would still be a long, a long battle. Um, and so it worked for us at the time to make the decision to sell. And and how about at that point with the work life balance? Did that also play? You've I think you mentioned earlier that it did play a role in the decision that you and, and Trevor ultimately made. It did. It definitely did. Uh, I was still traveling. Uh, now we were traveling to both sell and support customers. So now we've added a whole elephant of of travel, which was the supportive component. And then on top of that, the, uh, this industry runs on, there is the, you could go to a conference, you know, every month if you wanted to. So I was speaking at conferences in the U.S. and, and over in Europe. 
so the, the travel never, there was no end to the travel. And we really were not big enough, nor were we established enough to start. I was still the face of the company, and mm-hmm. people still recognized me for it. So we hadn't yet established another identity, if you will, that would really be able to take over. Now, we absolutely could have. Um, but at that point, we put we were putting all of our resources into iterations and, you know, developing out the roadmap of the product. Um, and so we were not really ready to support another sort of high-level executive in the company, if you will, that would be willing to be the face or to be do more of that marketing out, outreach. Um, we, we were investing it back into the development of the product itself. It sounds like your partnership was so closely aligned that the decision uh, really was very much made in accord. It was. You know, when we decided to sell, we had no disagreement. We definitely, that's not to say the decision was easy. We spent a lot of time, you know, leaning back, debating, what if, what if we get this customer, would that make a difference? What if we, you know, so we spent a lot of time questioning. And, and, you know, it's funny, we both describe being on a roller coaster. And I think many startups would describe the same thing as you get a signal that you're going to get this you know, massive customer, and that'll, you know, transform everything for you so that you can hire the team, and we'd, we'd have that dreaming stage, and then there'd be, you know, a delay, which is always, norm, you know, some sort of normal delay, or, um, so we were in that roller coaster day to day, is this the right decision? I'm not sure, and, but ultimately, both of us, in a fairly short period of time, got to the point where we both agreed, hands down, Given what we love to do and where we want to be personally and professionally, it's the right time. And, you know, it's the right time for us personally to sell. It's the right time for the company. It's the right time in the industry to sell, for sure. Um, so it's sort of aligned in that way, which, again, I think is fortunate. I mean, timing, they say timing is everything, and, and we really did time things correctly. My mentor always recommends that to increase your chances of selling your business more than 50%, you need to answer two of three questions as a yes. And one is, is the M&A market strong? Is the industry strong? And is your business performing well? And it sounds like you had all three yeses. We did. Yeah, we did. And, um, you know, you, you look back and think, well, what if we stayed one more year? Would the company have been, you know, even a little bit bigger if we had done X number of clients? You know, maybe we could have negotiated this deal, but, you know, you can do that till, till your boot face, if you will. And um, so both of us just said to each other, if we make the decision, let's not talk about what could have been or what we could have done. Let's just say we made the right decision and and not look back and think about, you know, what to do next. Um, and I would say we have done that. I, there has been one time where I have a, um, actually, who worked on the acquisition, called and said, are you going to do something again? Because I have a company looking to acquire. And I thought, oh, should we have waited? And, um, no, I said, you know, Ted, I appreciate the call, but, you know, we sold this, and I'll call you when I do something else, and you can tell me if there's, if there's anyone out there interested. But we really haven't looked back. And, and as an example, Trevor, 
his family packed up, they took the kids out of school, and they sailed for a year after we sold. And it's a dream that they've been wanting to do for years. And the decision to sell um, enabled them to go do that. And so, and I took a little bit of time off, and then I started something new, which is what I love to do. So for us, again, both personally, it was the right decision. I don't think anybody regrets it. Courtney, I want to ask you one more question, and then I'd like for you to tell us about more about what you're doing now before we close. But, you know, so often business owners, you know, sort of operate in a silo. They don't take advantage of external advisors. And you've mentioned advisors a couple of times. How did you find them? You know, how did you what was your working relationship like and how how did that add value to your um, your decisions? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. The advisors were were extremely valuable and um let's see we found them in a few different ways and i i'm calling them advisors which they definitely were we did not have a quote formal advisory board if mm-hmm. you will uh-huh. uh, and and we also did not take outside funding so if we had taken outside funding we i'm sure we would have had a formal advisory board yes yes <laughs> which would have run us and we didn't take outside funding because we wanted to be in control of the company and um we were actually offered funding and we turned it down by two different groups um so so that was a decision on the funding um now that made it uncomfortable for sure sometimes like yikes we are tight um and, and had to make some very significant priority decisions just based on the cash flow we had, but I also would would not take outside funding if I had the choice, again, to not do so. Uh, so, but on the advisories, to your original question, we had a, a I don't know if it was an old colleague of Trevor's, um, but a, a someone in Trevor, my co-founder's network, that had been through this and had this was the company that had gotten to 15 plus years, had been doing extremely well, and was actually recently sold. Um, so he had been through this in the same industry, very similar situation, and he was an extremely valuable uh, resource. And so he was very um, generous with his time and his advice and his experience, and that was very helpful. I also had advisors... Uh, I have two, I think two or three advisors that I had worked with before that I leaned on for more of the customer perspective, how things are working inside the company. They are companies that would be prospective customers. And that was very helpful to me as well. Um, And those were people that I had built long-term relationships with. They really wanted to see us be successful. And again, they were generous with their time and feedback in order to do so. For me, I think what I missed and would have done differently, and part of this is coming out of the conference that you and I were just at, I did not have a personal coach or personal advisor, personal business coach, whatever you want to call it, but I did not have that. And there's definitely times and often and still do feel isolated, partially as a woman in business and partially working in an area. So I live in an area in Washington State, but most of the 
clients I work with are outside of Washington. So I don't have that many people I can physically be with that understand what the industry is that I'm working in. It's all remote. So the two things I think I would do differently is, and have already done this year, is, is have a business coach, have some personal advisor to help me. When you get to those points where you're, you're losing confidence or you just need some personal guidance on, on that front. Um, and then to really, the second piece is to really create a network of uh, individuals that don't, not, not necessarily in the same industry, but that are all starting businesses or running businesses and entrepreneurs because I think that that is it's a very unique experience that not a lot of people can relate to if they are not actually starting or running a business themselves. And so having that network, whether that's physical, you know, local or not, I think is important. And that, that is what I'm realizing even more now. I completely agree with you, and I've certainly yeah. felt feel the same and have done the same as I've grown Ascend to Sell, so I, I really appreciate that viewpoint. Courtney, yeah. if you don't mind, take a few minutes and tell us just a little bit about what you're doing now and if, if sure. you know, what your time is spent on and how people could get in touch with you if they wanted. Absolutely. So when I left, when we sold Blueprint, I stayed on with the company for, for a while to transfer, transition everything. And then I, once that was over, I started consulting in the same industry, consulting with companies um, that are looking to improve their risk management processes and their overall sort of team effectiveness. So my focus immediately after Blueprint has really been on one-on-one company consulting and it's been a great experience. It's been great to see the insides of um, what companies are working on today. And what I noticed there, and I will try not to make this long-winded, but I, what I've noticed is that they're struggling with a lot of the same problems. And, um, and a lot of that is on team effectiveness, leadership, personal leadership effectiveness within, within these companies, um, and process effectiveness. So what I am doing now, I have a company called Cascadia Global Research, and um, it's a combination of individual consulting, but I'm creating online training resources, so courses that not only focus on the processes and the regulations that these companies in clinical trials need to adhere to, but I'm moving a little more into the leadership effectiveness, team effectiveness, and, and change management aspects to to the clinical research teams and, and how impactful they can be. And I feel like that's a component that's missing right now. Um, and my focus is really on trying to create accessible, uh, new types of training for these companies that can, they can really relate to and they can execute quickly and then they can have some very practical things to put in place in their, their workday. This industry is very demanding, it's very time-consuming, and it's very fast-paced, which is a lot of industries are. And so some of the training is lacking at the moment, and, and I think I can make a big impact for these companies and individuals in the companies through this avenue with some training and some consulting in, in combination. And I'm so that's my focus right now. And I am sure that is so valuable to the companies that you are working for and with. Courtney, I really appreciate your spending your time with us today and for my listeners. And again, that's Cascadia Global Research. Yeah. 
and Courtney McBean. Courtney, thank you again. This is Wendy Dickinson with Ascend to Sell, and I certainly hope that you've enjoyed our time with Courtney today. Courtney, take care, and I hope that we get to talk to you again soon. Bye.